Welcome back to The Abnormal Christian. I am Brad Mason. I am here again today with my wife, Natasha Mason. Hello. And there she is. I think I say that every podcast. There she is, like you can see her. She's over on the side. So we're glad to be back with you today. I want to thank everybody once again for listening to the podcast and giving us a little bit of your time um, just to share a little bit from our perspective of... um, things that are important to us within the Christian realm. Um, Today we're going to be looking at the book of Genesis. We're going to kind of go back and we're going to look at the beginning of everything. Um, And we're going to look at the first couple chapters and uh, my wife has some questions and we're going to try and talk about them and answer a few things. Uh, Within the first three chapters, and I'll tell you up front, um, you don't have to have any specific denomination that you belong to or any kind of uh, previous Bible understanding or study um, to to kind of follow along with us. So if you if you have your Bible and you want to get out your Bible and you want to look, we're going to read through some verses. Uh, but if you want to follow along with us in your Bible, that would be great. Um, one thing you do need to understand is that a lot of what we're going to talk about comes from uh, what we call a Hebraic, Hebraic perspective. I want to get that clearly understood <laughs> Hebraic perspective. So, um, and I'll explain a little bit about that as we go. We're not going to get greatly in depth in that area, but it'll help you understand a little bit more about the first couple chapters of the Bible, because we've all heard these stories before and we think we understand them and we think we know them. Um, but there's so much within the first three to four chapters of the Bible and so much there. Um, and hopefully we can get into that a little bit today and explore a little bit about that. So, uh, you want to kind of go into... So I have someone that I work with who uh, has listened to some of our podcasts, and she is in Bible college. And so she had a couple of questions because they're studying the first five books of Genesis, I think, or chapters, excuse me, not books. So she had just a couple of questions, and these will just be as um, jumping off points for our discussion. One of them was, why wasn't Eve directly told by God not to eat the forbidden fruit? Okay. And the second is um, when the woman was, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Uh, Not plagued. No, not plagued. Tempted. Cursed. Cursed. That's what I was looking for. Sorry, my brain might be having Mm. a stroke. Anyway, as far as the curse goes, you know, the curse of child. Right. Child parent. Childbirth? Child. (laughs) <laughs> I'm struggling. Childbirth pain. Right. Um, she is, her other question was the woman's desire. Right. Um, I forget the verse that she was specifically talking about, but. Chapter three, verse 16. There you go. Yeah. So I've got, I've got some of the, I've got them printed out. I've got actually chapter two and chapter three printed out of Genesis. So we could go through some of the verses, um, because there's questions there that she's asked that we want to answer. Um, I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter one to get us kind of foundationally started to explain a little bit. When I say, when you look at things from a Hebraic perspective, I'm sure you're probably like, what does that mean? Um, so kind of starting off, I want to look at Genesis chapter one. Um, everybody's really familiar with the story. Everybody kind of knows what happens in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Um, and then he goes through Genesis chapter one and explains what God did in seven days. Um, so when you look at it from a Hebraic perspective, you're looking at it from the eyes of, um, someone who may be Jewish or someone who may be a, a Hebrew descendant or someone who's Hebrew. Um, you have to look at the Bible as a whole, right? It's written. Every author was a Hebrew of some sort. They belonged to a tribe or, um, they were Jewish. 
So it has this really understanding that these people wrote about things. Um, they see things a little bit differently than we do, and they write a little bit differently than we do. They have a different understanding than we do, and it, and it really is based culturally uh, somewhat around their livelihood and what happened. And so when you hear that, you're kind of like, well, I don't know if I agree with that, but that's why we look at Genesis chapter 1, because in Genesis chapter 1, we see a seven-day creation, right? So I'll ask you a couple questions because you know the answers to these. Um, but in Genesis chapter 1, are any of the days of the week given? a name no no none of the days of the week are given a name uh they're only numbered on the first day god created on the second day god created on the third day so none of the days of the week in genesis chapter one are given a name um except for one there's one day of the week that has a name and what day is that do you know it's the last day of the week the day he rested yes and it's called the sabbath yes the sabbath so the only day of the week in genesis chapter one is called Sabbath. That's the day of rest. That's what it means in Hebrew. It's the only day that God gave a name to. And it actually fell into the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It wasn't, it was no other day of the week did God name and tell us to remember that it was a holy day, that it was holy. Who was it holy unto? That's the other question. Holy unto God. Holy unto God. Sabbath was holy unto God. We were to remember it because God honored that day. So first off, you have to look at it and say, from the Hebraic mind point, there are should not be any names to the days of the week. God never gave them names except for one because that one day was holy. In our current world system, every day of the week is named after something pagan. Really, honestly, I mean, that's what it is. Sunday is named after the sun. Monday is named after the moon. Uh, Saturday is named after Saturn. I mean, there's Friday's named after the pagan goddess Freus. Um, so there's, there's days of the week. These names all are tied to paganism and when you look at what God laid out in Genesis, he didn't want any other day, really honestly, he rested on the Sabbath. That was the most important day to him, the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So I think in Genesis, you look at that and there's a little bit of Hebraic mindset, right? So we're not going to stop calling the days of the week by their names because that's, we're already ingrained. We just, it's part of our life now. The second thing in Genesis chapter one that you could, there's a couple things you can really glean out of Genesis, but two main things I'm looking at is the type or the times of the day. And this is another pointing toward the Hebraic mindset that I need you to get into while we talk about this is that what is a day? What is a day? Cause we talked to me yesterday, me and Natasha talked about what matters truth. Does truth really matter? Um, truth and tradition are two different things. They're not sometimes they, they intersect and, and a lot of times they're very separate and far from each other. So, uh, what is the truth about a day, um, to the Jewish person, to Jesus, even walking and the disciples, you understand when Jesus was alive, this was the day when Jesus was alive. The time frame was exactly measured by what God created in the book of Genesis. So when God created a day in Genesis, what did he say? The what and what were the first day? The evening and the, the, the morning. The evening and the morning are the first day. The evening and the morning are the second day. The evening and the morning are the third day, right? So in God, remember God's the one who created all this. He's the one who laid out these timelines. To God, his mind of a day was the evening and the morning. Now, in our current culture, we don't look at it that way. Our current culture, the day starts 
12 to 12. We run midnight to midnight. The morning and the evening are our days. And so when we look at the Bible, we apply our knowledge and our current life to what we read. So when we read something, and this is a quick offhand, just remember this, but when we look at Jesus' crucifixion, we've talked about this before, we look and we say, uh, well, you know, he was crucified on Friday and he rose again on Sunday. And it's three days and three nights, and you can't get that math does not work at all. It doesn't even make sense. Now you apply the math of Genesis where the evening and the morning were the first day, and Jesus said he was going to be in the grave for three days and three nights. And that changes your perspective on when he was crucified and when he rose from the dead. No, no, we're not going to get all into that in this episode. We're going to save that. We've covered that a little bit in one of the other episodes, I believe, called Passover. Uh, mm-hmm. You can go back and listen to that one. We talked about that. But what you ha- what I'm saying is you have to understand God's mindset is different than what ours is currently in the way that he laid out everything, life, structure, and all that. And it's really important to know that when you come to Genesis because the world that we live in right now says if there's any kind of hierarchy within a family, if, the, if a husband is above his wife, then it's wrong. If... Um, if you know, if the Bible says that uh, the husband's the head of the house, uh, like Christ is the head of the church, people get bent out of shape because they're like, "Well, that's just inequality." That's. Uh, I heard one person say that in Genesis chapter three, I think it is. This is where the patriarchy began. You know, I, that word drives me nuts. But the problem is, is the current world that we live in does not look at the scripture the same way. So you have to be really aware that you're going to look at this from a different perspective. So we get through Genesis chapter one, and God's created everything, and He's created. Um, He's created all the beasts and all the flying things and all the things in the oceans, and he's created everything, and he created man. Um, So then he takes his rest. Then in chapter 2, you have to understand that chapter 2 is the description of we're going to get into God creating Adam and Eve, right? So he's, he's created all these things in chapter one. He tells you what days he created them on. Then chapter two, he starts giving you a little bit more of the backstory of what he did. Um, so in Genesis chapter two, verse eight, we read that the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put a man whom he had formed and out of the ground, this is verse 9. Out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant in the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, so he's saying, you know, he's put these two trees there. He put the tree of, of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He's planted man. He creates man and he puts him in, in the garden to tend the garden. Um, God looked. And verse 15, we're going to jump down there. And the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden, thou mayest eat freely. So this is Adam before the creation of Eve. Um, So this is talking about the day when God created Adam and he placed him in the garden, right? Um, but this is all in the creation day of man. So uh, in verse 18, uh, God says, And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a help meet for him. So he created help meet for him. So we talked a little bit in the last podcast about how God put Adam to sleep. And then he takes out the rib. Verse 22, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made a woman. And he brought her unto the man. Now, uh, one of the questions that um, I think you had brought up before was uh, something to do with her being, when was she called his wife? That was one of the questions. I don't think she repeated earlier, but it's one of the questions is when, when was she actually called Adam's wife? And it was this point when Adam said, notice that Adam is saying this, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called the woman because she was taken from a man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be called one flesh. So Adam saw that Eve had been 
a part of him, created from him, and he recognized her as one flesh. Now, at this point, her name was never given. She was not called Eve. He didn't name her Eve at this point. She was still a part of Adam. So she's technically, um, they're Adam, I know this sounds crazy, but they're Adam together because she hasn't been given a name yet. Um, Verse 25 tells us that they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So now we have two times in in Genesis chapter 2 where it says that Adam called her his wife, and then it says that they were both naked, him and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So there we have the first instance of Adam actually calling her his wife. And he's giving us, it's interesting, it's chapter 2 of the Bible um, where he is saying that a man should marry his wife. He's leaving his mother and father. She's leaving hers, and they're, they're getting together, and they're getting married. So almost immediately in the Scripture, the Bible says that the plan for a man and a woman is to be married. Right. That's, that's, that, and when, when people get into it and they say, well, I don't understand why Christians get upset. Everybody and their brother should be able to get married. This is the very beginning of where marriage starts for us, right? It's that very beginning. We talked a little bit in the last podcast about how the opening of his, uh, his side and pulling out the rib was the same thing that happened to Christ. Out of Adam came his wife and out of Christ's death came his bride, which was the church. Um, so there's very, there's a lot of prophetic stuff there. There's a lot of foreshadowing that's in that. So then we get to chapter three. Now, chapter three is where the serpent comes in and he starts tempting and he starts getting into his, uh, he's going to trick Adam and Eve and he's going to get them to fall and he's going to get them to sin. Um, so chapter three, verse one says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of the tree, every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. Okay? So now the serpent's tempted her. He's asked her a question about why can't they eat from these trees? And she says, God has said, You shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. Um, so the question here is also, why wasn't Eve, your question was, why wasn't Eve told by or God. God doesn't specifically right. tell Eve that. But Eve, in this verse, acknowledges that God had said something. She, We don't know if God actually told her one-on-one. The scripture doesn't record that. But it does say that Eve has knowledge that God had said they should not do this, um, which generally falls back to Adam. She says we. Right. Exactly. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, right? And God said, ye, ye shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. So she, actually, God didn't even say if they touched it, they would die. He said they shouldn't eat it. So she added on to what God had actually said, which kind of makes you think she might have heard it from Adam, right? So right. Adam was the first person God told this to, and it was Adam's job to tell her. That's what he was supposed to do. And so we don't know. Again, we're not going to infer from Scripture. We're going to try and dig in deeper and, and make assumptions about it. But we only go with what we have. And so Eve, Eve has a knowledge that God said, don't do this. Um, and then the serpent, which is interesting, the serpent said unto her, the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the tree, this is verse 6, when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eye and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and she did eat and she gave unto her husband with her and he did eat. And then verse 7 says, and the eyes of them were both open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves aprons. 
So we get down to it, right? So the serpent has tempted her. He's asked these questions. He's got this thing in her mind of, of you know, he, maybe he's right. If I do eat of this, maybe I'll be as, as wise as God's man. I want to be smarter. I want to be whatever it is. And so she was led into that. Now, in that verse, some people might say, well, uh, why didn't Adam do We always have this idea where, where we grew up and we're told that Eve ate the fruit and then she brought it to Adam and he, out of his love, he ate it and because he didn't want to lose her. And, you know, I mean, we hear all these stories, right? The Bible doesn't say that, so there's no need to infer that. All we do know is what it says. And it says that she took the fruit and she did eat it and she gave it unto her husband with her. So... The question comes in, and I told Natasha this the other day, there's three options. Adam is either standing right there beside of her with her, he is hearing what is going on between her and the serpent, and he at some point agrees with it, so he decides to eat because he wants to be wise too. Number two, Eve eats of the fruit, and she finds Adam wherever he's at, and he gives she gives him the fruit, and he is technically with her when he eats it. That's number two possibility. Number three possibility is that Adam is near her. He doesn't hear the conversation, but he's technically with her. But all that aside, Adam still ate the fruit. I mean, he, he was told directly by God, and he knew not to do this, and he ate the fruit. I tend to think that he was standing right beside of her because I, the reason I think that is because I think he wanted the knowledge that she wanted as well. He just didn't make the first move. I, he was, I think he was standing right there. I think he heard the whole conversation. She, in her mind, was ahead of him, and she's like, oh, so she took the fruit and she ate it, and he's like, oh, I'm going to get the knowledge too. It's that same idea that, you know, uh, I, somebody's got something. I want that. I don't really even know if it was that. Maybe it was the love for his wife. I have no clue. It doesn't tell us. But this is just what I would think would, it, from the verse, that's what we see. He was with her. He ate it. Shouldn't have done that. But anyway, so we go past that. Uh, one of your, what was your other question about desire? Right. So we know they sin. We know they fall into sin and God curses them. He, he cursed them in the order that they sinned. Uh, he cursed the serpent first. Then he put a curse on the woman. Then he put a curse on the man. Um, this is a really interesting part of the scripture that I, it, we get into something here in Genesis chapter three that I told Natasha yesterday that I would just, I, I think the Bible talks about meditating on the word of God. And a lot of times I, I roll it around in my mind and I think about things and I, I, I read a passage and then I try to pa apply it to another part of the Bible and see if these things correlate or is there any connection there. Um, but anyway, so we'll get into that a little bit. But so in chapter three, we'll, we'll go down to verse 16. Um, he's cursed the serpent. He's told him he's going to have to crawl on his uh, belly in verse 14. Um, Verse 15, there's a prophecy that's made, and God says, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. He's talking to the serpent here. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So there's two different things there, the serpent seed and the woman seed. And, and a lot of uh, biblical scholars will say that is um, Satan, serpent seed, uh, Yeshua, Jesus, the seed of the woman down the line. He's going to bruise his heel, which means he's, he's put to death, but he crushes your head. So it's kind of the way they look at it. Um, so in verse 16, unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Okay, so we'll stop on that one because there was a question about the desire of Eve. And what does that mean? Um, you want to go in a little bit more on that? Well, <laughs> the way it was posed to me was the interpretation of that particular verse where it says, and her desire shall be unto her husband, is that a lot of times women want things out of their husband emotionally, we'll say, that they aren't always able to get from them. 
so that they're always left longing. Right. And the question is, well, shouldn't they, that hole or that void that they feel, shouldn't they feel that with God as opposed to trying to get it from their husband? Right. And I, and I could understand how that might be. Hmm. I mean, I, I, I get that, but I think that's a little bit of a stretch for this particular verse. I think that's true. Yes, I think we should desire more out of God than we do the person that we're with. Absolutely. Um, but the word, and again, we're going to go back to the Hebrew, right? So the word here used for desire is teshekwah. That's the word that is used. Um, it comes from the um, Hebrew lexicon. You can look that up. I've actually got a print out of it here. But um, it comes from a root word, shekwah, which means longing, right? So... When it says in this verse, the um, the desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Basically, you have to look at the context. One of the one of the golden rule, silver rule of interpretation is context within the passage, right? So you're looking at the context of the verse. It's talking about having children, and it's talking about. Then it says she'll have desire for her husband, right? So the Hebrew word there is longing, and it's basically saying she will long for a husband to have children with. That's what the verse is about. So if you, and, and Teshekwah is, they say it only occurs three times in the Bible. Um, it occurs here in Genesis 3.16 and Genesis 4.7 and in the Song of Solomon uh, 7.10. And he's talking about his, um, I believe it's his bride in Solomon, when, a Song of Solomon when he's talking about, he's talking about his bride. Um, but it's a longing. It's a longing for. So in this in this verse, that desire there is a longing for a husband. She wants women will they will desire the husband, and then they're going to have the children and the childbirth that goes along with it. It's pretty simple. Now, it, it, again, if you look at the context of cur- culture, current culture versus biblical, wow, that really flies in the face of everything current culture tells us. Current culture tells us women don't need men. You can do whatever you want. You can, you know, I mean, you can have kids. Honestly, now a kind of absent void of a man. I mean, you can, there are ways to make that happen. Um, and current culture would look at this and say, this is another instance. Here's another instance of, um, men trying to rule over women, right? I mean, that's, that's what you could look at this and say, because now you're saying a woman longs for a husband. And I think, honestly, we've had this conversation before that if you ask a lot of women, I think we talked about it on one of the last podcasts, they're going to say, yeah, I want to get married. And the guy's going to go, right. I mean, there's a longing there. And honestly, I think that's what this verse is really in reference to. Um, So uh, verse 17, God uh, unto Adam, he said, because you've hearkened unto the voice of your wife, you listen to your wife. She ate the fruit, gave it to you. And you thought it was, this makes me think he was there because she's listening. He's listening to the voice of his wife, talk to the serpent. And he's listened to that. And he's agreed with it. Yes. We want to be wise. That's so he says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree, which I commanded thee saying thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. This is the curse. Cursed is the ground for thy sake and sorrow. Shall ye eat of it all the days of your life? Thorns and thistles, thistles. I'm struggle with that. Shall I bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In thy sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return to the ground. For out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and dust thou shalt return. At this point, at this point in the scripture, verse 20, then Adam turns. Don't know if there was time in between the two verses. But then Adam says he calls his wife's name Eve because she is the mother of all living things. So up to this point, she was not named. She didn't, don't really even know what that verse contextually 
Um, if it means she's the mother of all the children, they're going to be born. She's the mother of all creation as far as humanity goes, which is absolutely true. Um, or if it, it, it could even mean that she's the mother of all the sorrow that was brought into the world. I mean, I don't really know. Um, one of the interesting things that I did read was that you have to understand before Adam and Eve actually sinned, they only knew the kingdom of God. They only knew the good things. They only knew the righteous things and the things that were holy. They only knew goodness. They didn't have any uh, concept of right and wrong and sin and nakedness. And um, it's uh, it's interesting because it's like two different Kingdoms. They were suddenly exposed to the kingdom of, of Satan or the devil. Um, on one hand, you had God's kingdom that had righteousness and holiness and on one and life. That's the main thing, right? So on, on, on God's kingdom, you had the tree of life. You had everlasting life. That's what the tree was supposed to give you. So you had that. But on Satan's side, after sin, they inherited death. They inherited misery. They inherited the potential of, of hellfire. So there was a real huge difference between the two kingdoms that they inherited. Um, very interestingly enough, um, we come down to where God, and now God is talking to Adam and Eve after he calls her Eve. God does something that's very interesting. So in verse number 21, unto Adam, also unto his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skin and he clothed them. So this is very, very important because later on in the scriptures, we learn that the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So now we have a situation where Adam and Eve have sinned and they've done something wrong against God and something had to die because that was part of the curse, right? The day that you eat of it, or the, you would surely die. Um, we understand that to be a uh, spiritual death that it is. The, and that's the way we look at it. It's a spiritual death, right? We say, well, they didn't die that day. So it's, it's they inherited death. They would eventually die. Their bodies would eventually die where they might have lived forever. Um, and they also inherited spiritual death. That's why we have to be reborn. But in this scripture, it says that God made coats of skin and clothed them. What is the significance there? Uh, he covered their sinfulness. Yes, I like that. You hyphenated it, their sinfulness. Yes, that is the significance there. So, and I'm going to really, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to kind of fill this one out a little bit because the Lord showed me something yesterday that I didn't really even notice myself. I was pondering through the scripture. I was going over this portion of scripture and I was like, well, so he, we know he offered, this is the first sacrifice, by the way. If anybody ever asks you, what is the first sacrifice that is ever made in the scripture? This is the very first sacrifice. God himself is sacrificing and I'm, I'm going to go with the lamb. I don't know if it was a lamb. It doesn't say that, but knowing God and what his requirement for a sin sacrifice was, I will almost guarantee you 99% that this is a lamb he's offered up because the very next sacrifice is a lamb and the sacrifices that follow after that are all lambs spotless and without blemish. So in this case, God is taking and sacrificing an animal and he's covering them with the skin or the coat of that animal. And so what he's doing is he's, he's showing you something there. This is Genesis chapter three and God is showing you something that he is going to cover your sins with the blood of something that is clean and pure, because that's what the sacrifice had to be. It had to be clean and pure without blemish, and it was it was holy to God. So he covers Adam and Eve with that. Now, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, you know, this is the very first sacrifice that God made, and, and it was probably a lamb because that's what he required of every sacrifice for sin. And then I thought, you know, Jesus was the lamb because the Bible says he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, and, um, and we're clothed in his righteousness, it's very interesting the scripture would say that, that we are, oh, this is getting on me and I didn't even realize this. Oh, Lord. You see it? I wish y'all could see him. Yeah, it's okay. But no, think. Did you hear? You yeah. hear. 
We are clothed in his righteousness. That's the same thing you did with Adam and Eve. He clothed them in the righteousness of the sacrifice. We are clothed in the righteousness of the sacrifice. I've got, it's going up and down my back. It's Y'all, ridiculous. Y'all, got a hold of me now. It's ridiculous. We're clothed in, and an, uh, we're clothed in the righteousness of the sacrifice. That is fantastic. We're just like Adam and Eve were. God laid that out there in chapter three, verse 20. God clothed them in the sacrifice of righteousness. And we're clothed in that too, which is Yeshua. He is our righteousness. So, yeah, man, that's all up on me. I got to, so anyway, um, <laughs> So I was thinking that Jesus, you know, he is our sacrifice and he's clothed in his righteousness. And then it hit me almost like the Lord was trying to show me something there. And he's like, you realize that I made the first sacrifice for sin. And I also made the last sacrifice for sin. God made the first and the very last sacrifice for sin. The Bible says that after Jesus was crucified, there's now, there's no more sacrifice for sin. There's none. It's done. It's over with. He was the final sacrifice for sin. So in the idea, and people can say what they want about God and sacrifices, but in the idea of sacrifices, God made the very first sacrifice and God made the very last sacrifice. That's all right there in Genesis chapter 20. He's the beginning and the end. He is, yes, absolutely. He is the beginning of our faith and our salvation, and he is the end of our salvation. Christ was that completion of everything. So in the first three chapters, we have this picture that is laid out for us of God's redemptive plan, even though it's not spelled out, because we, we understand that the, the Old Testament is, is, um, is a uh, foreshadowing of things to come. So we look at this chapter, and we can see that they're covered in that, man, that is crazy. They're just, I'm telling you, there's, it, that's the goodness of God's plan. And this is what you see when you get into the scripture and you start comparing things. Really, if you're looking at Bibles and uh, Bibles, if you're studying the Bible and you're looking at a passage, I encourage you to talk it out loud. Speak it out loud. Talk through the verse. Talk through the idea. Because as you do that, the Lord is going to start showing you things you never noticed before. You're going to see something like I just, I never really compared the two that he covered them. And we're covered in that sacrificial lamb. Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world and we have been covered with that same blood and covered with that same covering that makes us righteous that that right there just uh, i'm probably gonna run around the house a couple times <laughs> it's like i'm in church i'm gonna run up and down and scream because that is man that's deep if you can get that that is that is something that's just fantastic i don't even know what to say i've just done a lot went all sideways on it I'm about to, mm. So we get to this and we get down to chapter, the end of the chapter here. The Lord has covered them with that in the coats of skin. This also shows the mercy of God, right? Because God did not kill Adam and Eve. He didn't, he didn't apply death to them immediately. He did apply death to something else, which took their, their sin. Their sin punishment was on that animal. Same thing that happened to Christ. He's on the cross. Each one of us deserves death. We deserve to go to hell. We deserve the very worst that could happen to us because we are miserable people. I mean, the Bible says the heart of a man is continually wicked or wicked continually depends on the the version you read. Um, but it is, our hearts are not, they have to be cut. They have to be cleaned. Um, and so, you know, that's what this whole scripture is all about. So you get in there and you read that and you find out a little bit there 
you go on later, and the reason I think it's a lamb is because uh, Cain and Abel. You get a little bit further down, and you find out that Cain brings a different sacrifice than Abel. Abel brings the lamb sacrifice that he's been told by his father to do. So between uh, this sacrifice and Abel's sacrifice, there's not a lot in the scripture that says God ever told anyone else how to do a sacrifice. So you kind of have to assume that he taught Adam here or maybe later, how he wanted the sacrifice done. You're going to do a sacrifice for sin. What were the requirements? And, right. This is what you're going to bring. So you get over to Cain and Abel, and uh, Abel brings the, the required sacrifice, and Cain does not. Cain brings the fruit of the field. He brings you know what he's working. He's trying to please God. And, and this is really, in itself, is two different pictures of... Um, of the world and Christians, right? So there's the, the sacrifice that would please God, the sacrifice what that God requires. What he's told us to do. And the sacrifice that Cain wants to offer. The sacrifice that should be good enough for God. The sacrifice that I'm going to give you what I have and you should take it no matter what. And I mean, this is the first four chapters, five chapters of Genesis and you're already getting a, a layout of how the world's going to operate and work. So... Anyway, uh, hopefully we're kind of running out of time on this, but we'll we'll come into more of Genesis um, and maybe get some more into Cain and Abel and things like that. Uh, But hopefully you got a little bit of something. I know I got something out of this. So hopefully you got a little bit of something out of this. Maybe it opened up your eyes a little bit, give you a little more understanding and a little more uh, interest in research. Um, So you can't always just assume that these these are old stories that we've heard before. There's a lot of depth there. There's a lot of things you can learn. Um, Just pray about it. Open up the Word. Start reading. Read it out loud. Start thinking about it. and And talk to other people. Absolutely. Compare compare Old Testament scriptures against New Testament scriptures, and you're going to see some things that are really going to amaze you. So hopefully we covered, uh, we really kind of covered Genesis 1 to 3, um, but we do appreciate you listening. Our daughter's walking in and out of the room. It's what babies do. They love to be around. Uh, but we appreciate you once again for listening to the podcast. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook, on uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram. We're on Podbean. We're on iHeartRadio. We're in a lot of places. Um, Spotify, I want, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. Um, as I mentioned before, the Lord is really doing more and more work with our podcast. We don't even understand kind of why, but he's doing what he wants to do, and we're happy for that. So we praise the Lord for that. We ask that you would pray for pray for the show and pray for the podcast if you have any ideas or questions that you would like to have answered we can do our best i'll do my best to do research and 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 find a a good answer for you Um, i warn you that i'm going to try to stay as biblically correct as possible um, even if that means hurting some feelings um, because i believe there's a lot of theology out of there that is very skewed and takes advantage of the gospel so i really try to stick to the truth as much as i can Um, outside of that this has been a great podcast and we will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye.